0: Good evening, thank you so much um, for coming and joining us for the screening and now Q&A with the director and producer. So Jennifer Bray's here and also Lindsay Dryden. So um, I guess, how do you feel when you watch it now, Jennifer? I know it's gonna be quite a few times as you've been on an incredible circuit kind of around the world with the film, but how do you feel when you watch it and you see people's reactions and you hear exactly how it makes them feel?
1: Yeah, well, it's um, it's interesting cuz there's sort of there the in, in some ways I guess, and I'm sure this is probably true when, you know, as a filmmaker in your own films that every scene you know, was arrived at through <laughs> a lot of effort and experimentation and work and, and, and has so many layers of meaning for me personally, I think even beyond what is a parent, and so I'm always finding new ways to connect to it and relate to it, which I know might sound strange, given that I've probably seen it now, you know, 300 times. Um, but um, it's it sort of it still feels like it's a living thing, and I think a part of it. There was someone who told me very early on that the the sort of a film isn't finished until it meets its audience, and like so, this is sort of the last stage of the filmmaking, and, and I and I didn't fully understand it, but I I really believe that that's true because. Every room has been different and as a first-time filmmaker it's been really extraordinary to be able to travel around the world with the film um, you know, as, we, as we've had our festival life and to to have it mean completely different you know, different things like subtly <coughs> different things depending on kind of who's receiving it um, but I think that for me the most moving part of it is the sense of you know I made this film in part because I was going through what was the most Terrifying, isolating, and um, profound in every way both hor- horrifying and wonderful um, experience of my life. And I was someone who had read books and watched films my whole life in order to try to understand and interpret my experience. And suddenly I looked out into my culture and I, I didn't, it was like I didn't have a story. There were so few stories um, that talked about this. I didn't know it was possible to get this sick. This young with something chronic, um, and what 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 is a chronic illness in, in, in kind of narrative, right? Like illness is something that you either get better from, from by the end or you die from. And so um, I think I made the film that I needed in that moment to explain my experience to myself, and it's been remarkable watching um, you know, patients in particular and also carers and family sort of see the film and feel like, you know, for the first time like, that's me, that's me on the screen, I get to see myself. And, and it's, it's been profound and, and powerful to watch these kind of layers of decades of, of kind of stigma and shame sort of lift um, off of people when they, when they see the film.
0: You talked about the sort of moment of delivery or, or deliverance almost being once the film's seen by other people, but what was the beginning? When did you think, I need to make a film, I'm going to make a film that's gonna be in cinemas? going to tell my story and the stories of others?
1: <laughs> didn't happen all at once. Um, I think, um, you know, I often say if I had known what it would take to make this film, I never would have begun to try, so thank God I was. I had no idea. Um, I, I started filming um, myself uh, um, a few weeks into becoming that for the first time, and... It was actually on the suggestion of a friend who's a writer. So I I wasn't a filmmaker; I was a writer, and had um, lost the ability to read or write. Um, I would write like a sentence of an email, and then pass out for four hours from the exertion. And so, um, again, I I, I sort of always wrote to like know what I thought and felt, and and kind of kept you know private diaries my whole life. And um, my my friend said, "Well, look, like if you can't write now, maybe just document it," you know. Record your voice, and that way, when you get a diagnosis and you get better, um, you can write about it, and at least you'll know what happened in the experience. And so, I started to film myself on my iPhone because it was what I could hold and what was always there with me, in bed, and um, and I think, you know, I, I didn't have an intention at that point of necessarily sharing what I was recording, um, and I think it sort of, I think two two things happened. I think one. Um, I remember going to a doctor's office one time and uh, I was seeing a new doctor. And I tried to explain to him, you know, last night I got up from my bed and I tried to walk to the bathroom and then I collapsed on the floor and I couldn't lift my head and I don't know why that happens to me. Um, or I would, you know, sort of say, I sometimes I lose the ability to speak. And it didn't occur to me until that moment that every time I would say that, the doctor would translate it into... She had a hard time finding the right word, or it was like she couldn't lift her head. And I I took out my phone, and I showed him my camera. I said, no, look, this is what happens to me. And he just sort of turned white and said, you know, you need an MRI, you need a a spinal tap, and and started to kind of take it really seriously. And I just sort of realized that the words I was using for the last eight, nine months, um, that words failed, and and that maybe this was a story that had to be told visually. Um, and maybe if we, the reason why there is so much stigma and so much misunderstanding is because the, the, what happens happens behind closed doors in these intimate moments in our bedrooms and in spaces that no one ever gets to see. And so that's when I started to think about making a film, and then it was really, you know, I also I think that the sort of, well, rather, rather I think I thought someone should make a film, um, and, I, and then I think I thought I'm going to do it because I just... Got really angry um, going online, meeting you know, person after person who all had the same story of being stigmatized and marginalized for, for decades, and feeling, and I, and, and I guess it was coming to the realization that my life chances, you know, had I been diagnosed today, five years ago, 10, 20, 50 years ago, are exactly the same. And, and that was really when I started to kind of frame it as a social justice issue.
0: And uh, sort of once you'd made that decision, how soon did you come on board, Lindsay? How was that process of sort of starting to even share the process of filmmaking with someone else?
2: So, um, Jen, someone from Jen's team, in fact, who I haven't ever met, um, <laughs> contacted me in early two thousand and fourteen, um, and Jen had already done this extraordinarily successful Kickstarter campaign and had really started to make a film and had a clear vision for the story that she wanted to tell, um, and. As a filmmaker myself, my background is, is in making films about the body and what happens when the body changes. And I'm interested in stories about women and stories about people who aren't believed, people who aren't heard and who aren't listened to. So it felt like a really good fit. But we didn't actually start... We didn't meet until we'd been working together probably eight, ten months. Um, we didn't meet in person for a long time. Um, and actually, lots of our work hasn't been in person. It's been all over the world. And, I, you know, Jen really changed the way that people expect that, that someone can direct a film.
0: Yeah, And I guess I'd be quite interested in maybe the audience would too, to understand the kind of me- the real mechanics of how you start to do that. Like, I think it's a real challenge to make a film that is <laughs> so international anyway. Yeah. And then sort of, you know, you were really breaking the mold, not even breaking mold, but creating something entirely new. Mm. And so what, what was that sort of, what was that, Process like for you, and how did that evolve over time? So um, the
1: I knew that I once we had sort of um, raised the first part of funds on Kickstarter, and it it, it, it um, we we sort of raised four, over four times the goal, and it it gave me the immediately like the first thing I thought was okay, this is great. Now I can shoot abroad. And I, I really wanted to create, to make an international film in part because I wanted to make it hard to sort of for people, I wanted to be a film that could do work all over the world because we face very similar challenges everywhere. Um, but to be a film that would be hard to sort of say, oh, well, that only happens in the UK, or that only happens in the US, that only happens in Denmark. Um, and, uh, and so having done that, um, I just started to, you know, as, as Lindsay was saying, kind of reach out and... Um, I think, I think the, the one of the things that we did during the Kickstarter campaign was use the kind of iPad teleprompter, which um, um, basically is a it's a fairly simple kind of device where, um, as I think you saw in the film, there's sort of an iPad that sits in the bed and then reflects whatever the image is on the iPad um, over the lens of the two-way mirror. And so it's sort of a, a kind of poor man's um, Errol Morris style in Terratron. And we had actually started using it very early in... Um, like, like, in the Kickstarter campaign, um, I think, because I was probably watching too many Errol Morris movies at the time, um, but I, I sort of really wanted to have that eye contact, and I would kind of, you know, Omar would take me, load me up in the car, like, like literally carry, like, carry me to the car, and we'd go and drive about an hour from New Jersey, where I was at the time, to New York, shoot for t- 12 hours, um, doing interviews, then I would Come back home, and then usually I, I couldn't speak for the first two or three days, and then I would just crash for 30 days, and then I would do it again the next month. So we shot um, six days um, over the course of six months, um, one day a month, and it was totally insane. Um, but I, I, to me, it felt totally necessary, and it took me that long to realize that um, I didn't actually have to be in the room to use this device; that I could kind of Skype and interview people no matter where where I was or where they were in the world. And so I started to really understand the physical toll being you know, on set was having mm-hmm. on me. And so I um, um, started using that straight away. And then um, I used a, something called a tarot deck, which um, compresses the A camera, like our, our main camera's feed. So whatever the camera is, either seeing or recording, it would compress it and then stream it online. So I could watch um, what was being filmed with like a 30-second delay. and. When there when when there was Wi-Fi and it worked, um, <laughs> I'm obsessed with the
2: fact that it never worked in the UK because we were in places with well, useless yeah, internet. Jessica,
1: Jessica's house was in like <laughs> this weird dead zone where as soon as you were in a, in the car, like driving off, it would somehow work in her house. It was hard. Yeah. Um, but the the this, the last scene of the film is um, our DP Christian in 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 sort of this you know forest at sunset, and um, he you know. Um, uh, put a camera mount on the hood of the car and was driving through the woods, and when the feed came in and went live on my computer back in New Jersey, um, the emotion of that moment is me realizing that I, I actually hadn't seen the sun in New Jersey um, in four months because I hadn't been well enough to go into the backyard, and then here I was. Um, sort of watching the sun. And I, I just had forgotten. Like i hadn't I forgotten how beautiful it was. And, and so I was really overwhelmed by both how sad it was that I wasn't there and how incredible it was that I was there at the same time. Um, and that's really, I think, so much of what the technology was for me um, as part of this process. It was sort of a way for me to connect with other people and to still be this person who, who travels and explores um, and is a part of the world.
2: And it was like Jen was in the room in many ways because we would have a crew depending on where we were in the world um, and that crew would be doing what Jen had prepared them to do um, either by email or through calls that they'd done in advance and then I would have my phone um, and we'd just be kind of texting constantly so anything that Jen said by text message I would then relay to the crew. So it's a very hectic way to work Um, but it meant that your voice was there in the room um, even before you kind of appeared on camera um, to interview people and to to work with your subject. So it was like she was kind of always there just from bed. And another
0: aspect I thought was really sort of profound about the film was not just the way it sort of lifted the lid on an illness that lots of people didn't know anything about, but the way it really sort of put your love and your relationship very much at the forefront. And so would you be able to tell us a bit about Omar and his sort of willingness to be no, that he's not part here. of this, yeah, exactly. <laughs> his willingness to be part of this sort of huge experiment in your journey. Yeah, and that. did he have a know, choice? <laughs> well,
1: there was this moment fairly early on where I kind of just turned to him and I'm like, because in some ways, like I never, I never really asked him if he wanted to be in the film, <laughs> but it was, it was just sort of so obvious in a way. And I remember asking him about it, and he was just like, um, yeah, just really game to. Be a part of it and and kind of both support and kind of follow us on this journey um, wherever it led. And I think that is both his personality and my personality in life. And so it is a part of what connects us. And and um you know it, it was something where I'd always check in at, at different points um, in the process. And he, um, you know, and I and it was you know it obviously. Um, I would not include anything that he was uncomfortable with, um, but or at least we'd have a conversation about it. Um, but he never said no. I mean, I think if anything, he was as committed as all of us were to telling and showing the truth. Um, so it was, I think we, were, we both wanted to be really open. I mean, it was a scary thing to do. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to be brave in an edit room with two people. It's much different when you finally share it. Um, but I think... We always just felt that that was the best thing we could do and the only thing we could do.
0: You talked a lot about the sort of, you've talked a lot about catharsis, and I think there's a moment when he talks about not wanting to be like imagining himself in the way that others close to you were seeing, you know, everything that was happening. How different was it to finally allow people who were much closer actually and not strangers into those really intimate and quite grueling? Like aspects, did that shed any new light on the situation for them?
1: So, sorry, like when we shared it with our with like people. Close yeah, to us. so
0: rather than just sort of um, you know, members of the public. I mean, yes, um, and no.
1: I think I think for you know um, by I mean I think this is a very hard experience to understand unless you live in the home. Like even if you're very close to someone with it, it's just it's it's really so much about the day in day out um, and the the sort of the crazy things that happen. Um, And so, but I think by the time we got to that point, you know, most of the people who were very close in our lives had like come and stayed with us, and had had that kind of live (laughs) experience of oh my God, I didn't really understand. I think for the people closest to us, what was remarkable is in some ways was not our story, but seeing the story repeated in other people's stories. And I think that that's what the film often does because when you think it's just your loved one, you frame it differently than when you see it as a much bigger story involving, um, you know, so many millions of people, truly. And so I think then they understood the activism. Um, I think then they understood the scale of what we were trying to do. And I think that helped them kind of understand why we had embarked on this crazy (laughs) experience of making a movie in the first place.
0: And there's such a powerful uh, sort of aspect of really reclaiming your narrative, but how did that interplay work with being subject and also the director. So usually you'd have someone else who pushes you more than you want to be pushed or sort of makes those decisions. So how did that end up working? Yeah, um, I, 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 I don't, you know, like you, you
1: sort of hear people having, there's sort of like typical personal filmmaker problems that I just, I hear about. And I, I don't think that they were really, a part of my experience of making this film. I think that there were other things that were challenging, and I think in part because, um, you know, same friend who told me to, it's a good friend who told me to um, record myself said, you know, many years before all of this, like, you know, writing is different from editing, and um, you know, if you try to edit, meaning if you try to judge, um, judge and structure like too much while you're in the process of generating, you're going to kind of fail because. You, you, at the beginning of a process, your your knowledge about about um, what you need to be doing, I think, is always is always partial, and so um, especially when it's personal. And so, I for me, my com- commitment was to like film the truth as well as I could as it was happening, and then judge later how intimate, how intimate we, I was willing to be, um, whether something was too painful or too raw, and and kind of see later, like, did this serve the film or not? Did we need this here or not? And, and, and so, and I also didn't look at my own footage for a very long time. I, I would review the footage from the other stories, um, but because I was living in the horror every day, I, like, couldn't watch it. Um, there was one moment when I had to sound mix my own screens from, like, a trailer for something, and it was just, I mean, it was just, it was torture. And so I, I kind of put it away in a box and in some ways, it was in getting deeper into the other stories that I was able to, in that moment when things were at their, at their most difficult, sort of process emotionally as a, as a human, like my experience of living with this, but with that bit of remove, like through Jessica's story, through Casey and Leary's story, through Karina's story, um, and then sort of unpacked the other footage when we got to the edit, and I think by then I was different. I had moved on past so much of that after those two years that I was able to look at it with a distance that I wouldn't have had had I tried to look at it in the moment. I think if I had done that, it would have actually harmed the process. Um,
0: yeah. And uh, how did you sort of go about getting funding for such an, an epic film, but one that was medically being denied everywhere? So, you know, research isn't, is saying it doesn't exist, and actually you wanted to make a film sort of Quite to the contrary.
1: So I, I think the Kickstarter campaign was really crucial. So um, as I, I mentioned earlier, we had a goal of raising about fifty thousand dollars U.S. and then we met it in forty eight hours and then raised over two hundred twelve thousand dollars. And at that point, like only seven other films that were documentaries had raised that much on like Kickstarter. Half of which were gaming films. The other half of which were funded by the oil industry. <laughs> um, <laughs> truly, like like and so so it was it was sort of um, I don't think this was a film anyone ever would have given me permission to make, um, so I'm really glad I didn't ask, um, at least not ask at the beginning. And so, um, but I think that I think the, um the sort of the success and scale of that campaign um, helped to reveal, I think, to other film funders, um, you know, like Sundance um, and other foundations in the U.S. that um, uh, that this was a story that. A lot of people wanted to see made. Um, And so that, that I think, really changed everything for us.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, I just wonder if we have any questions. I do have, I think, that might be the best thing to do. Some raving mics, I think. Yeah.
2: Thank you for a marvelous and poignant film and bringing the story into the open. And it's a very banal question, but it deserves to be seen as much as possible everywhere in the world. And I just wondered how you're able now to go forward with the distribution strategy, what it is and whether you've got monies coming in for to be able to approach television, and etc., cetera, etc., cetera, everywhere to get it shown to the maximum.
1: Um, well, we could always use more funding, but I think that's true of everyone. Um, do you want
2: to? Yeah, um, answer that question this is please? my favorite part. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love the creative producing part and the distribution strategy part. So it's something we started thinking about a very long time ago. And it's worth saying that this film was much harder to try and fundraise for in the UK than in the US where I think people are much more um, bold about creative distribution strategies. So we began with our festival run and we're in cinemas at the moment all across the UK. Jen's just done a tour in the US, and cinema's there too. Um, And so we'll be going onto lots of different platforms, but we chose to do that independently, um, and with support from the Sundance Distribution um, Fellowship, which is a a, a new kind of supportive scheme, so that we could reach all of these audiences in really targeted ways. We didn't want to hand over the film to one kind of distributor that did one thing really well, but didn't reach other audiences. It's been a, and it continues to be a really huge undertaking, and we have a phenomenal team in the U.S. and here in the U.K. as well. So, as Jen said, we always we continue to need um, more funding for that process, but we have some really exciting kind of next stages coming in the distribution strategy, which means that some very wide audiences will get Mm -hmm. to see the film.
1: Yeah, and so we've, we've, I I think we, you know, are having a strong kind of theatrical here, and um, and then. Um, are doing loads of community screenings um, with different institutions both focusing on kind of reaching policymakers and, um, uh, uh, and medics and, and scientists um, and then also just sort of you know empowering the community to kind of screen the film and use it um, uh, as well and so and, and that's sort of really how we're bringing the film um, to other countries that where we're not doing those releases in part because, I do think that something, I mean, I think it's just true of all film, but I think that with this film in particular, something profound happens when um, people can see it together in a theater, especially, you know, we've had so many stories of, like, a patient um, bringing, you know, um, coming coming themselves on the first day and then bringing their um, boyfriend and then bringing their parents and then bringing their, I mean, and it, it's sort of a way of try, kind of trying to share and have a communal experience And to, in some ways, finally be understood, because the film for a lot of patients is 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 a kind of um, you know is a story and it's a language for articulating what they're going through. So I'm excited to try to do that as much as possible. We've also are doing virtual screenings, like virtual theatrical screenings that are social, where people can go online and watch the film at the same time it's playing in a cinema and buy a virtual ticket and then talk to each other afterwards about about the film. So we're doing quite a lot, lot of that as well. One last one, just over there. Hi, just wanted to say thanks a lot for, for making this film. It was quite overwhelming and really wonderful. Um, just as a, a family member has suffering from this, it's, it was really useful to see it from the perspective of your husband and also the the husband who remarried his wife, which was mm-hmm. very moving. Um, I'm just interested to find out what your experiences of showing it to medical professions and uh, professionals, what's their, what's their response? Um, so we haven't done a lot of screenings yet, um, but in particular at Sundance for some reason there seem to be a lot of doctors in the audience. Um, and they're, um, they're sort of, I think the most powerful rooms are when there's a mix of patients and carers and and doctors um, and in some ways the the film is almost like this sort of um, you know this sort of object or space around which people can have a conversation um, really outside of their traditional roles. I mean I think medicine is one of the few hierarchies left that are truly that hierarchical, um, and to sort of have you know doctors hear what their what patients are saying who aren't their patients, um, and then to have a doctor say you know this broke me or you know this. Is not a film about Emmy, it's a film about compassion. And I think this should be shown to every fourth-year medical student because they come in wanting to heal, and then there's something about just that intensity of the training and the schedule that and just the interaction with humans who are complicated that kind of breaks that breaks them down in a way. And, and how this film could be a way for them to re-engage with what it is to, to, to sort of you know doctor with compassion. So I think the, the experience has been really emotional. For, for doctors seeing the film, and, and we've gotten, I think so far, a really, really positive response. Thank
0: you. Sadly, we do have to wrap up there, um, but the film went on general release um, last Friday in the UK, so please tell your friends and your families and people that you know to go and see what is obviously an incredible um, film. And in addition to that, Unrest was um, it is now being considered for the BAFTA documentary category. So I'd love you to join me in sort of giving both Lindsay and Jennifer a round of applause. <laughs> Thank you.